0: Hello, this is episode 328 of the Purple psychology podcast i'm sure ready so this is a podcast on not going to school during the pandemic is kind of the end of the world and it brings a bigger question to me always why do we go to school and this might seem like a strange time to record this because it's summer holidays for a lot of people not everybody but if I like, had a cent for the amount of times people have told me in the last two weeks, I have my child back. My child's completely different. They're really happy and smiling and I have my old child back. Like, they do something really fundamentally wrong in what we're doing when the so-called best years of your life don't involve you being the best of yourself, and just being happy, just because you go to school. And there's a a really horrible underlying narrative here, which basically, um, I think what sort of tipped the balance for me in this, was reading an article on how this generation are not going to make enough money, that they're, you know, starting at such a lost place and they've missed out so much that their whole life's worth is dependent on how much money they're going to make in their lifetime. So that really, like, shows us why many people feel we go to school. They've really lost the complete point of it. And then when I start to read the narrative in relation to other countries that people view as developing and fundamentally beneath them, you start to see the racism as to how we see brown and black people. And we start to see the sexism as well in the purpose for girls being educated. I'm not convinced that just because you superimpose your obsolete education system on another country that you view to be developing, and you give them textbooks that were frankly inaccurate in your own country and have no context in theirs, that somehow you're making people better people. I'm not convinced that having more in your life or more pressure or a lot of the things that we view as progress is a better life. Just because someone's life is simpler doesn't make it not as good as yours. What fundamentally we should be looking at is people's standard of life and their choices within that life and their access to health care and to food and to being above the poverty line. And that's not necessarily wrapped into education. That's wrapped into how we choose to exploit people. And I think one of the plays that most brings this to light is Lorraine Hansberry's play, Les Banks. I'll put a link in the description. Where she talks about the scars carved into the African landscape of the sort of exploitation that's taking place. And Ireland is an unusual place. Like when when I travel to other parts of Europe, that did invade various African countries and pillage their resources. Essentially, the opulence and the wealth and the extravagant buildings that were built during that time, we don't have any of that in Ireland. We don't have that legacy to look around and see and so pretty much in every other european city you will kind of have sort of two distinctions of the side of the opulent grand side of a city that was built on the wealth of having taken what you wanted from somewhere else and the sort of slum in your own city it's a very bizarre setup and i remember being particularly set off by it in Brussels many years ago, where they had the biggest building in Europe at that time built entirely on the resources of the Congo. So it's there, like it's, it's, it stands as a, a legacy and a structure. It's, it's, it's quite bizarre. It's bizarre to go from Ireland to see that in context. We have a handful of buildings in Dublin that were built during the colonial times here. But we do not have the kind of opulence and wealth on show. And at the moment, with the book that I'm writing, I'm, I'm, I'm on a bizarre journey because I'm most interested in when women entered the workforce, which was predominantly during the Second World War, because men weren't available And then there's a whole inequality in that which is explained exceedingly well by bell hooks in Ain't I a Woman? But I'm now also listening to the words of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I'm listening to her context growing up as a child and being a teen for the tail end of the Second World War. While I'm re-watching a TV series, I don't watch television, well, I've gone back to watch parts of World War, which is set in the UK for the Second World War. And to try to sort of put in context how women were treated and how they were viewed and how they were used. Um, in you know, One of the episodes of World War is very clear that women were taken on to work in industrial Processes such as welding, but we're literally paid half of the rate of men. So we constantly want to exploit people when we put them into education. Like there's a big drive to have girls educated so that they become monetary units. I'm not convinced that that's their best form of being. It's this balance between Women, again, gaining choices and independence because of education and independence from the control of the masculine over their lives and having options with their life because they have their own money and their own resources and their own access to the basics to keep themselves. But that doesn't mean they have to shelve all the other parts of themselves. And increasingly... You know, we saw throughout the pandemic again, this was a message that women were expected to juggle it all. And I'm still, I'm still unwrapping and unpackaging all of that for myself. But there is a sense always in what use you are. Like even the military are declaring that people are currently too unfit and too obese to fight for them. It's like, how useful are you? And so many people traditionally... Left school only a generation ago and went out into the workplace very happily to be very successful at trades and skills. And we're trying to now reinvent that because we're losing so many trade skilled people. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about, you know, the, the electrician and the plumber. I'm talking about the sort of craftspeople who do stained glass and carving and woodwork and forgery and stonemasons. These are really fundamental aspects of our society that we just don't see a use for. You're not good enough. So there's a whole sense of how we view people depending on how much education we think they have and how much place they think that they have in our society. And to be a writer and to be a poet, you don't need to be a scholar. You just need to be somebody who's taking a, an interest in the world around you and who's open-minded and who likes to take in a lot of other people's words. That's that's not scholarly. It's just connected. And ultimately, the people who have risen to the top of this food chain, who are supposed to be educated And have ticked all of the boxes, still don't care about climate change. They're not interested in the fact that people in Bangladesh are up to their waist in water. So I I really question what we're doing in terms of education. But I do know that for many of the people that I work with, and and the families struggle to believe me, that you almost flunk out of education in order to be successful. You almost have that failure in your life to then go out and be successful in another way. And I think that's why I dislike this message so much, this idea that because a generation of people didn't go to school, might learn how to read slightly later, which in fact in many countries they see that as being advantageous, that that it's not necessarily good for people to learn to read too young. And some people naturally learn how to read really young and some people learn how to read slightly later. That's just, that's just a pace of, of individuals that we're not prepared to take on board. We just need everyone to squash into the same room at the same time and be occupied. But we've gone from them being occupied now to them not scoring these milestones that we expect of people, which is ultimately why they're so unhappy. And why when they, when they leave school in the summer, whenever that lands for you, they breathe this huge sigh of relief and they've stopped trying to compete with everyone. They're kind of like, oh, I'm okay. I can be okay now. I can just be the person at home who can do everything and, you know, and be funny and be imaginative and, you know, not a fit in the box. And so I basically spent the whole pandemic trying to make these people feel good about themselves and to leave the boxes behind and to not worry about it, and to just press pause. And the reality, as a society, that we should be ashamed of is that we opened schools again because the homes were too abusive for people to be in them. They were too abusive for our children to be there. We needed school. What does that say about us as a society? But they have not, like, there's an entire wave of people now building a drumbeat, um, who are going to make a lot of money and a lot lot of resources in this message of there is something wrong with your child because of these two years. And I see so much to gain. I see in every story of every person to admire that they have gone through something, that they have built a resilience and an experience from that. And even in Bader Ginsburg, there is always something and in her case it was as simple as being left-handed and being made to write with her right hand for a period of time and then saying no I'm not doing this this doesn't feel right for me and I'm failing at writing and I am never writing another word with my left hand but that let that etched an experience in her one I can identify with because I drew with my left hand long before I could ever write. And I think someone did force me to write with my right hand. And so now I'm incredibly confused. I do write with my right hand. My writing is awful. But I do a lot of things better with my left hand. So again, that's one of the conformities of what we do. That's what education is currently. It's forcing people into a box. And there's this message brewing that... You know, we could see that children weren't weren't impacted. Well, the reality is, is that more people died in the 1919 pandemic and, and, and plague because they had been subjected to an earlier round of it in their childhood. So are we prepared to, to roll the dice and say, oh, it doesn't matter? Are we prepared to not look, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years down the road with these people's lives and not know what lasting impact there is to their immune system, just for the sake of them stepping off the grid. They have gained so much during this time, so I don't want to listen to this message of the fact that they didn't go to school, so they're not gonna make enough wealth for their lives and they're not gonna be successful people. I just think it's the most disgusting narrative that sums up everything that I currently hate about education. We've completely lost the point, and the point has always been entrenched with a racism and with a sexism and with a measuring, and with someone else's monetary gain. It is a complete concept that has been eroded by the industrial revolution, and I just wish the people would wake up and, and and look beyond what they're being told. They always put education on this pillar that they don't question. And they always put the people that they think are educated on a pillar that they don't question. Education is about more choice. It's not about anything else. And we are confusing it with knowledge. There is so much knowledge we are losing. We are losing it every day. We are losing the stories and we are losing the skills and we are losing our values. And none of those apply in education. That's not education.